Now, get ready to talk hockey. Streaming from the Oilers Live Studio. Subscribe or follow today. Hey, 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 it's Michael here with another edition of Oilers Live Tuesday, 6 p.m. Mountain, as always. Maybe a couple minutes late today, but hey, when you're the host, you can start whenever you want, I guess, right? I have as my guest tonight, uh, Mr. Bruce McCurdy uh, from Cult of Hockey and uh, from Twitter at Bruce McCurdy. Uh, one of my favorite people to talk to and and uh, listen to and and follow on twitter so how you doing bruce i'm doing well thanks michael how about yourself tonight oh i'm doing actually i feel great i don't know it just before we started the show i was thinking to myself like i today i'm just feeling really good today i don't know nothing other than it was a nice day here in halifax i don't know what it's like uh out in edmonton right now but i'll um i'll be out there near the end of august so we'll find out then pretty decent day here actually yeah, and is yeah. it still smoky? By the way, like is no, yeah, yeah, the sky's been gray or white for a couple. Seems like weeks now. We had a little bit of blue for a few days, and now it's gone right back to being white and kind of dull, especially for a stargazer like myself. Oh, yeah, I, you know what? I forgot that that's uh, one of the big things you're into, and um, I, you know, we're gonna talk hockey because that's why we're here. Right. But I'm curious, is there like a benefit to being like in Edmonton if you're a stargazer? Is there is there like the absolute best? Obviously, you want to be out of the city, right? So you can see Absolutely. less light. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, is there like, a, you know, a, a place in the world where it's best to be a stargazer? Well, basically where it's darkest is, is pretty much the best. But uh, there are advantages and disadvantages. I mean, being as far north as we are. Uh, we're well situated to see things like the Aurora Borealis mm-hmm. uh, in season, which is just coming to an end now, noctilucent clouds, which are basically meteor smoke high up in the mesosphere that are lit by the sun at uh, in June and July. Some of us track that. You wouldn't see that. And uh, I know a guy in Halifax that's been trying to see him for years and has never seen him once. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, just it, it, where you are, there are certain things that are, are uh, advantageous and uh, other things that are not. So it's a matter of figuring out what uh, what works best. Now, do you um, and and then we'll talk hockey. But is it mm-hmm. um, is it something? Have you been out on the um, out on the uh, water, like out in the ocean, and had a chance to do something? Because you know, when I've been out there in the mm-hmm. in the black of night, I mean, it is there's no light anywhere. It's beautiful mm-hmm. and seems like there's a million stars yeah no not much water out here i mean i'm from i'm <laughs> no. from the east coast my mom is from halifax actually oh. i'm from i'm from st john's newfoundland so i'm i grew up with the water but uh, here all we got is rivers and a few lakes but uh, nothing quite as uh quite as majestic as what you've got down there and uh bedford basin and beyond yeah yeah absolutely it is beautiful of course i edmonton i still consider home and, and love it a lot Every place has its own own things. I, I um I'm a big uh, booster of of my hometown, and uh, I always felt like uh, you know when I go when I left Edmonton the first time I I went and moved to Saskatoon. That's when I appreciated all that Edmonton had to offer. I you know coming back and you're a tourist again and you start to start to understand. And one of those things is uh, Oilers hockey. 
so we'll talk um let's talk some oilers uh, you know i um I had a chance to read a couple of your articles that you've posted uh, recently. Of course, uh, free agent signing was, uh, well, the big, I guess, the big flurry of free agent signings was last week, which always amazes me that um, the GMs don't get together a little bit and kind of start to, you know, wait a little bit, but they seem to, you know, sign as many people out of the gate as they can. And, and, um, you know, Ken Holland, this is, and, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I think this is kind of the first year where he's had some money to spend and he can actually put his stamp on the organization. Uh, I think the Neil buyout kind of represented somewhat, although we're still going to pay for it for a little ways, but the, you know, the end of the Lucic uh, signing and, and some of the, you know, whether you want to call it a mess that uh, Chirelli left behind, but um uh, I think, you know, this was, this was it and, and going into free agency, you know, what, what's your gut kind of tell you I've heard and, and I'm, I'm kind of a middle of the road guy on Holland right now. Mm-hmm. I was really big on him, but I have heard, uh, on Sirius XM NHL, some of the guys say he, he scored an A plus, uh, sure. and then I've heard all the way down to an F, mm-hmm. uh, where are you at? Or Ken Holland? Yeah, well, you can go in, uh, in, you know, in, uh, Oilers Twitter. There's a lot of F's out there, and there's you know a lot of F, <laughs> a lot of F bombs going with yeah. them too, and, and yeah. it's uh, it, it, it's uh, it can be entertaining, but it can also be pretty toxic at times. You know, <sighs> yeah. it's like every GM that we've ever had is somebody that's actively been brought in to destroy the Oilers, and they're they're deliberately doing the worst <laughs> job they possibly could. And you know, I mean, come on, uh, do I agree with everything he's done? No. Uh, do I like some of the things he's done? Yes. Uh, he uh, he had a lot of work to do this year. This was the first year, as you say, where he he also had, you know, contracts expiring, which is what created uh, the illusion of cap space. And of course, he had to spend the cap space to either re-sign or replace uh, the free agents. And one of the one of the ways that I like to look at a roster is using a, a technique that I believe was introduced by the agent Rich Winter, uh, or he may have stolen it from someone else. Who knows? But uh, uh, the terminology I use is the core twelve, and that is the twelve players on the roster that are you know sort of front and center on your team. The top two lines, third line center, your top two defense pairs, and your number one goalie. So seven forwards, 41 defensemen. And, and you can argue, you know, who was the 3C at the end of last year? Who was the two mm-hmm. left wing and so on? But I posted a core 12 uh, maybe six weeks ago that had four guys under contract and eight guys that were on expiring contracts. So it was, uh, you know, sure, there's lots of cap room, but, I mean, when you have one signed defenseman in your top four, uh, you know you're going to have to blow a bunch of that budget on defensemen, whether you bring back the same guys or you replace them with other guys of uh, you know similar pedigree and costs and so on. So uh, by my count, the I mean the four assigned guys were uh, you know quite obviously and uh, you know the most important guys on the team. Thankfully, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Darnell Nurse, Yesipold Yarvi, those are the four core players under contract. And then of the other eight, uh, Holland has brought back four of them. 
mm-hmm. that uh, that he signed uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He re-signed Mike Smith. He re-signed Tyson Berry. And he will re-sign Kyler Yamamoto, who's been issued a uh, qualifying offer. So it's just, you know, working out the details. But he had, he doesn't have arbitration rights. There will be a contract for Yamamoto, and it's just a matter of working out the terms. Uh, and then he had to fill the other four spots, which, I mean, he lost. I mean, you can say Dominic Cahoon, Dmitry Kulikov, Jijar Kara, who I had as a, as a 3C kind of by default of what was yeah. left. Uh, you could say, well, you can upgrade all of those guys. And then the one they weren't really looking to fill was Adam Larson. And when he went to Seattle, that put a major fly in the ointment, to say the least, because he was a fairly unique player on this team and not easily filled. I mean, in the end, he did resign Tyson Berry, but uh, this just in, no one's ever confused Tyson Berry with Adam <laughs> Larson. <laughs> They're not going to next year <laughs> no, either. No. Uh, so, uh, so, and then he brought in four guys from outside that I call core 12 players. And this doesn't include Warren Fogel, who, you know, he pencils in a three left wing as opposed to it being the center position. I am crediting Derek Ryan as being the three C for now. And we've also got, uh, um, Zach Hyman, of course, who's going to, uh, be a big player, uh, up front in the top six, probably on the first line, um, and then uh, on the back end, he brought in the defense pair of uh, Cody Cece as a free agent and Duncan Keith in the big trade with uh, Chicago that saw Edmonton uh, take on the entire remaining two years of Duncan Keith's substantial cap hit and throw in a couple of pretty insignificant assets going the other way mm-hmm. for the privilege of paying that salary. And uh, that's one... Well, it's let's call it Ken Holland's signature move at this point. And I hope for Ken Holland's sake and for Oilers fans' sake that it works out and that everything's great. I have my serious reservations and doubts about that particular move. Uh, I think he way overpaid for Duncan Keith. Uh, you know, I like we we heard this thing coming for two weeks and we were talking about uh, David Staples and I on our podcast and we were all three of us here at the Cult of Hockey writing about it, I think. And, and uh, this, the whole idea of taking on the tail end of Keith's contract and somehow paying the full freight on the cap hit was just mind-boggling. We, we wrote several posts right in the headline. If Chicago retains 30%, then maybe the artists will think about it kind of thing. And then they went and took the whole thing and, uh, and like tossed in, Caleb Jones, a pretty good uh, developing young defenseman who may or may not work out, but now at Chicago, you know, he's on a he's on a contract too, eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's a contract kind of contract you mm-hmm. want to have. Uh, they tossed in a third round draft choice. They made it a conditional pick if Edmonton gets to to the finals this year, which you know, I mean, price. Edmonton fans would happily pay, but in the meantime, means that this year at the deadline they can't trade either the third, second round pick because one of the two, and we. It was just a baffling move, and it was the first trade, and it triggered a whole bunch of other trades. And other trades we saw contracts being sent off with assets just to pay the contracts. Andrew Ladd, Shane Goss Despair, uh, there was a couple others as well where, where the team that took the contract 
got the assets and didn't, uh, you know, didn't have to send anything the other way. And I'm not saying Duncan Keith isn't better than Shane Gossespair, but what I'm saying is that it, in my mind, uh, Ken Holland misread that market and he did not drive the kind of bargain he should have because what, what Chicago got out of it was A, a ton of cap space, uh, B, final resolution of Duncan Keith after many years of wonderful service for that organization, um, C, uh, draft picks, which they're going to need in future, yep. uh, and D, uh, Seth Jones's brother, for goodness sake, as a, just, just a little, you know, a little extra attraction to, and then they, they used the cap space, they used different draft picks, and they went out and they traded for and signed Seth Jones, and now he's on the team with his brother. So he even got the brothers, you know, a little bit, a little bit of, a little bit of bait for uh, Seth Jones. Like it worked out perfect for Chicago, and I just, I just don't think that uh, Holland did well enough on that deal. I really don't. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's the biggest question mark, really, out of all of this, right? Is, um, is, is the Duncan Keith piece? I, 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 I get where Holland was coming from when he made the the trade. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think when you look at, you know, Tampa Bay, Montreal, you know, these teams that make it deep into, into the playoffs. They've got that one player that seems to have some experience, you know, the Corey Perry, the Pat Maroons, right? Like mm-hmm. those guys seem to just kind of yep. give you that little extra. And, and my, you know, when I look at it, I think like, is Duncan Keith that guy? Is he the guy that, you know, at any point in time that you said, oh man, like Chicago, that's the guy that changes the way they play, <laughs> you know, they they just haven't been there for a while, right? And he's not that difference maker. And uh, and you know, I I can think of a couple of other folks that that would be. And and uh, obviously, you know, if you anybody that's listened to me on here knows, I as much as I hate Perry, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I would have loved to see him uh, donning the oil drop uh, for a season. Next season would have been perfect, and you could have got mm-hmm. him at a bit of a steal. Um, you know, so, so I Even think to Tampa Bay to, to get all the steals. I know, I know, I know it's, how do they keep doing it? <laughs> he got, he got tired of losing to Tampa Bay is what I think happened. Oh. Uh, and, oh. and, you know, I would have yeah. even, uh, it doesn't suit some of the narrative of, of some of the, uh, analytics folks, but I would have liked to, I would have loved to have, uh, Caleb and Seth on this team over Duncan Keith. And, um, I, you know, if I say that though and um i'm not against having duncan keith on the team that's not that's not it at all i think um you know some of what you've alluded to i think there was a better deal to be had i think one of the downsides to shirelli was i thought he was a a, you know a piss poor negotiator (laughs) when it came down to it and uh and i felt like holland was was the opposite of that and this was maybe one of those times where i just felt like you know, he could have got a better deal and, and somebody maybe egged him on to signing something before it was ready, right? It seemed like like the, the odds were stacked in Holland's favor. Like, here was a guy that asked specifically to be traded to Edmonton. His team was trying to accommodate him. There was no other real buyers on the market because Calgary and Vancouver dropped out right away. And yet, here's Ken Holland saying, what do you think? We should got him for nothing? As if cap hit 
and cap space isn't a huge, enormous asset in the modern NHL, right? By taking this contract, the orders traded $5.538462 million <laughs> to Chicago's cap space and off of ours. And all of a sudden, now it's Chicago who can afford Seth Jones and Edmonton who can't. Yeah. That's not nothing. That is a hell of a lot. Yet we're still going to pitch in a few other assets because we're thinking we're getting them for nothing. Like, it, I just don't understand the logic. Like, it's, it's, it's pre-salary cap thinking is what it is. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, I, you know, and and I, it's the one. As I said, I mean, it is the uh, single biggest question mark I have of this off season yep. for sure. Uh, there's a lot of things I, you know, obviously Holland's not the most popular person in, in oil town right now, but, um, mm. I, I'm, I kind of like the guy. I have a lot of respect mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. He's, you know, he's been around a league a long time. And, and the one thing I've, I've really respected about him is that he's got a plan and he's mm-hmm. kind of stuck to it. Even the Keith trade for that matter, even though it might be ill-advised on the negotiation front is part of the Holland plan. Right. And, um, and so I respect that, that he sticks with that and, and goes with it. I've just, yeah, I would have loved to see something different. So let's move on from that. I mean, there's, um, you know, lots of areas I've got, uh, somebody on YouTube asking about the nurse contract. I know we were going to talk a little bit about the additions, but I think, um, right. Holland, this is a good time to talk about Darnell nurse, because I think, you know, again, this is an instance where we get to see, you know, is Holland good at negotiating or, or is he, you know, uh, is he going to be, you know, will he give away too much or, and, and nurse, I think brings up a serious challenge for Ken Holland, right. In that, um, we've seen some big D men signings in that 9 million range. Yes, sir. And, uh, and Darnell nurse is, is coming off his first season as a, you know, first liner. And I hate when these kind of contracts come up at this point because you're paying somebody when they're, you know, they're off of one sort of prove me season and, and uh, we haven't seen enough yet to know. I mean, at the end of this season, we'll kind of have a better idea as he, I, I think he's for real. I've, I've always been a fan of Darnell Nurse. I think he's for real, but I would love to see another season, but then you wait that and he could be worth more at the end of the season. Right. So you think you think he's going to come in around nine million? Well, that certainly seems to be the market now. I mean, Seth Jones got nine and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. Makar, who's uh, probably a higher level player, but who is uh, you know much younger guy who who had a lot more UFA years. Uh, he came in at nine million. Uh, Columbus paid Zach Wierenski. This was kind of telling nine point five three or something. It's like they wanted to pay him $1 more than whatever Seth Jones got out of Chicago. So they, so with Zach Wierenski's agent was just sort of sitting there rubbing his hands together saying, you know, when the time comes pay us. Cause uh, sure enough, Zach Wierenski got a little bit higher, uh, high, higher cap hit even than uh, uh, Seth Jones. And then who was the other, there was another, Oh, uh, Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. That went for 9 million. Right. So, uh, that suddenly sets the market that much higher. I mean, I think a lot of people were thinking that for nurse seven and a half to eight million somewhere somewhere in there. And there are uh, lots of people out there, of course, that aren't big fans of Darnell Nurse because that's how it works. And <laughs> they, they would rather pay him, you know, 
two million a year for or trade him for draft picks so we can have a bunch of draft picks while Connor McDavid's contract plays out. That 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 makes sense to me. Yeah, I, uh, I mean that's the big question for me is is like it, you know, you can't afford to lose Darnell no, Nurse, right? No, I mean, there's no you know, I, I don't I mean he's worth ten million to the organization mm-hmm. right now, right? And yet you know, I mean, yeah. it, he's not maybe worth more than Kale McCarr is, but if you're Darnell Nurse's agent, I mean, he certainly, you know, he understands the value that it's not necessarily the value Nurse has to the rest of the market, but the value he has to the Oilers uh, far exceeds what any fan is going to be mm-hmm. willing to pay, I think. And and they need to understand that. I, I, you know, I think Darnell Nurse has all the leverage right now, especially given the fact that you know, we've, we've watched Larson leave. We've got, you know, an aging Duncan Keith now, you know, we don't, we just don't have anybody to step in and and fill those shoes. And and I don't know if there's anybody that's going to be open on the market anytime soon. Uh, No, very, you know, he's, he's a unique player in this market. I mean, obviously he's part of the inner core of the team and having attended Michael, the uh, Oilers rookie camp in the summer of 2015, uh, and, or, you know, actually the development camp and then the rookie camp that fall, uh, followed by training camp. And you, you could tell there was a changing of the guard happening right then and there because uh, uh, Darnell, of course, had been a first rounder in 2013, Leon Drysdale in 2014, Connor McDavid in 2015. But they were all at this uh, at this camp, the three first rounders and say, oh, oh boy, you know, we for years we talked about, you know, Hall, Everly and Eugene Hopkins as being the core. But this is. A whole nother le- level of talent. There's an actual D man in there, you know, and and it's not just wingers like the like the Hope rebuild was. And it's uh, 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 Darnell is like in there. He's the right age for the cluster. Their buddies like it would be disastrous to to uh, let him go. I think that would be uh, uh, that would be uh, the. Uh, uh, Things would be broken at that point if if uh, if he moved on, and uh, we're not you know we're we're not ready for that. I mean, by the time the orders traded Paul Coffey in 1987 and started to break <laughs> that that model, they already had three Stanley Cups by then. Well, right now mm-hmm. we haven't got a sniff of one, so let's keep our core together for a little while and see see what we can uh, uh, see what we can build up. And and to me, Darnell's part of the core. Uh, I will take a, a little bit of issue or perhaps a counterpoint to uh, what you said earlier about uh, Darnell having one good year. Well, uh, he had his best year last year, but yeah, he had oh, it on the enough. shoulders of <laughs> yeah. several excellent years before that. He's That's been fair. among the league leaders in, in ice time, in even strength points, in, uh, in uh, quite a lot of, you know, um, of workload type categories he's been a horse for edmonton he hasn't missed a game since uh uh 2016 17 season and you know just munching 25 minutes a night pretty much from from then till now on bargain contracts yeah like he was yeah i should say i i did misspeak on that i i i am strongly a, a nurse fan like i've i've liked this guy i thought you know right from the time that um the oilers drafted him uh, up until now, I've been a big fan. I mean, I watched him when he played against Connor McDavid in the in the playoffs back in junior, 
and uh and just loved mm. him then and when he was playing in the in the uh, world championships loved him then and continue to love the the grit the guy plays with and and you know the fact that he's you know he seems like and and you never know but he just seems like one hell of a teammate right like the kind of guy that will stick up for anybody you know he's scrappy he can take on just about anybody he's you know he's not afraid of anything he's 110% the kind of player i love more more though it's the um the fact that he's played one full season kind of at on the top you know, top pair number one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, I always, I always knew he had it. He was capable of it. I, I would suggest to you though, there were a lot of Oilers fans that never thought he'd be, remember when they were talking about possibly trading him yep. in the off season. And there were, I was surprised. It felt like about half of the fan base uh, was behind that move, suggesting he was never going to be more than a second pairing defenseman. <clears throat> Really yeah. kind of drove me nuts. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? I mean, wrong. Yeah. people have been talking for years about how Oscar Clefbaum's got the value contract, and and you know, he did three. He got a seven-year deal at four point one six million, uh, right after his after his entry-level contract expired, and they just went straight to the next-level contract. Uh, whereas Darnell, because they didn't have any cap space, they couldn't go long-term with him. They signed him two years at 3.2. He kicked the holy crap out of the value on both years of that. Mm-hmm. Last year, they raised him to 5.6. He kicked the crap out of that. He's still got a year to go. Like, he's outperformed his contract every step of the way. Well, now when it expires, it just as he's a UFA, he's going to expect to be paid in full. As a, You know, he's not getting four RFA years like Clefbaum got. He's getting however many years he signs for. They're all UFA years. So he's in a very strong bargaining position and you know up until this point uh i mean he's been well paid don't get me wrong but, but he's delivered and over delivered on the on the amount that that he's been paid and i don't think he gets a lot of credit for that yeah no I, i'm i'm definitely on side on side with that so it kind of you know leads to this uh because nurse is a big part of the core as, mm-hmm. as we talked about and there's been some ads uh that ken holland did with hyman with fogel uh, with yeah. Keith, obviously, we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, um, is it enough? I mean, is this, you know, you're, uh, you look at this team and, and you look down the lineup and you look at the depth chart. Have, have we done, if, if you, like, we can talk about goaltending on another, <laughs> another note, because that's, yeah. as, I mean, they're related, but from the, from in front of the goaltender, is this enough of a team to take that next step? you know, to get past, I mean, I, obviously you don't know, right. I mean, if you're a Toronto fan, you think they've done enough <laughs> for the last 10 years and they just can't seem to get past the first round, but uh, is this enough for us to go a little bit deeper in the playoffs and compete? I've had, I've had a Toronto fan tell me that uh, Ken Holland's had the single worst off season of any franchise in the history <laughs> of professional sports, history of professional sports, not even just hockey. It sounds like a Leafs fan. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, okay. Like, I, what? Tell me about all the progress your team has been making all these years, <laughs> going yeah. out in the first round. And obviously, that going out in the first round is it doesn't sit well with Oilers fans. It pissed no. me off this year to see the Oilers go down and out in the first round again. You know, when when we when we lived the glory days, 
every year there was progress. There was visible progress. The team either, you know, the first year they made the playoffs, second year they won a series, third year they went soared up the standings in the regular season before they crashed in the playoffs, fourth year they got to the finals, fifth year they won the cup. You know, every year you're sort of saying getting better, getting closer. Whereas here it was like the one good year in 2017 and then two years and not just one, two years in a row out of the playoffs. Then they make the playoffs, gone, bounced in the first round. They make the playoffs again the next year, gone, bounced, swept in the first round. And and it's exasperated. They won one game, <laughs> one stinking playoff game since McDavid and Drysaddle signed those contracts four years ago. Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't have bet a, a penny on that outcome. Yeah, it's just shocking to me. <laughs> I think not just to you, but... Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Of course. Not, I mean, we're not, all shocked. A, a little enjoyable, though. <laughs> well, we had lots of fun games yeah. in there, and I mean, we yeah. got the, we got we got a fun team to watch, right? Yeah. I mean, e- even if they're crashing and burning in the playoffs, I mean, we got uh, uh, whatever passes for a full season, fifty-six games or seventy-one or whatever it is of McDavid, Drysital. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's uh, it's been quite a ride. It just would be nice if that ride were to last a little bit into the springtime. Agreed. Oh. Agreed. I So I, I have a theory that I've been mm-hmm. talking about for the last few episodes, which is because I, you know what I was, um, I'm, I'll put it out there. I'm kind of done on the tippet train. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not a tippet fan. Okay. And I always hesitate to go after anybody. I mean, I'm the last person to be on the, you know, fire Holland hashtag or the fire tippet hashtag. I mean, at, at the end of the day, they've done sort of regular season, kind of what they've, you know, what you would expect. Although I'd suggest to you that, you know, there's a lot of people uh, not even in hockey circles that could probably get out of the regular season with McDavid and Dreisaitl and, and nurse. Yeah. And, and, a, and, you know, I mean, I don't think that's a big accomplishment. In fact, that should be table stakes with the lineup you know, the Mm -hmm. core lineup that we have, but, you know, as you said, I mean, to only win, you know, uh, like as much as we have, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I think, you know, I, so I guess what I'm getting at is I'm not a big Tippett fan, but I feel like the moves that happened, uh, this summer indicate to me that Holland is not just a hundred percent behind Tippett, but 120% behind Tippett. And does that concern you at all? And, and do you, do you, did you get, kind of get that sense? Because I felt like the moves that Holland made were, were exactly the type of team that Tippett wants to coach. Yeah, well, it certainly got older. I mean, I saw a list the other day that said Edmonton was the third oldest team in the league <laughs> now by average age. Yeah. Third oldest yeah. team in the league. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you trade 24-year-old Caleb Jones for 38-year-old Duncan Keith, well, that's going to change your average age in a quick hurry, just a, mm-hmm. one transaction like that. And, you know, they gave up on two 24-year-old defensemen this summer that they spent six years Two guys we loved, gradually. I might add, right? Like two guys I, you know, I absolutely adored in Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear. Gradually, yeah, worked their way up into the NHL. I mean, we've been watching those fellows since they were draft picks, and uh, you know, here they are. And if I if I have uh, one constant from me criticism of the Oilers team, which I've maintained for a number of years, is that they've done nowhere near enough 
building from within. And you hear them talk about it all the time. Ken Holland was talking about the other day, well, we got to build from within. Well, we got to build from within. And then he turns around and he trades Caleb Jones. He trades Ethan Barrett. He lets Jujar Kara walk away on, on uh, as a free agent. And that's three guys that were, you know, drafted on the second day of the draft that, you know, took the, took the long road, the slow boat to China, you know, to get to the NHL of, of you know, uh, a couple of years at amateur, a couple of years in the minor leagues, and, you know, a cup of coffee here, a cup of coffee there. Not just the easy road of, oh, first, first high draft choice. So when you're 20 or when you're 18, we'll just pour you right into the NHL. These are guys that were developed the, the, uh, uh, the old-fashioned way, and now they're gone. And, you know, he could talk about building from within. Well, if he's going to build in from within with his own guys, by the time they're ready, the next general manager will come along and say, well, I want to build from within with my guys and flush Collins guys. I mean, that's been the, that's been the problem that we've been having is that there's been no real continuity that lasts long enough for this process. And you look at the, I mean, you might as well look at the, at the best. Let's, let's look at the example that's set by the, by the team that's successful, Tampa Bay Lightning. And you look up and down their roster, and on every line, you'll find a guy like Alex Kalorn or, or uh, um, you know, I mean, Point and Kucherov Point, are yeah, obvious Kucherov, examples yeah. of superstars <laughs> yeah. drafted in the second and third round. Uh, but also guys like um, uh, Anthony Sorelli and uh, right on down the right on down the lineup of of uh, uh, of, of players in the you know Tyler Johnson and and. Uh, just got one guy after another that was drafted in the second day that's been in the organization for eight or 10 or 12 or 14 years. And he's got a Tampa Bay lightning bolt tattooed on some body part, you know, and they, they grow up with the team and you look at almost any successful team. You're going to find that guys, you know, that they're just lifers with that team, right? They've been there forever. And it's, uh, uh, not always superstars that some of them are just uh, sort of heart and soul uh, grinders. And yet Edmonton keeps going outside the organization. Let's bring in somebody that's had success somewhere else or someone who hasn't even had success somewhere else. Cause I played for Toronto, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, and you know, I mean, you could take our, our most recent playoff success in 2006. Right. And there was a couple of homegrown guys that, you know, kind of made it happen mm-hmm. for Edmonton then. Right. And, uh, and then we kind of diverted from that. Of course, a lot of that had to do with the, the addition of Pronger, I think, and, and Pekka, but um, still, you know, Pisani was, he was a uh, mainstay <laughs> in the playoffs and, and excellent. And, you know, grew up, uh, grew up an oiler really, right. you know, and, and right. well, yeah. Who's our Andre Palat, right? Who's our Yanni Gord? Where, where are those guys? Who's our Eric Chernak, right? We just traded two of those guys, 24-year-old yeah. defensemen. And so it's it goes to the identity of the team. And to me, the identity of the team is more than just the very top of the line, you know, can't miss superstars that you got through the, through the high end of the draft. It's building, uh, you know, a supporting cast. And Edmonton has always seemed to be working from a disadvantage because they're, they're, they don't, they're not bubbling these players through the system and up and into the NHL. And then they wind up trading out the draft choices to fill the holes at the trade deadline that they, because they don't have the, uh, the depth that, uh, that a solid organization should have. So, you know, I, that's a criticism I've had 
almost back to 2006, Michael. Like it went away shortly after that, mm-hmm. and they've never really gotten it back. So, I mean, you're not going to get that, though. And this kind of goes back to my no. Tippett point. You're not going to get that with the, no. with the fellow like Tippett who seemingly doesn't trust those players, right? Like he, you know, it's everything, you know, if I'm Ethan Bear and I'm Caleb Jones, you know, I it was, you know, a blessing to <laughs> to be sent away, right? And Ethan Bear said said as much the other day in his comments, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but here's a here's a kid that, you know, I would suggest I think the majority of fans, the good Oilers fans, <laughs> not so much the toxic ones, but I think the good ones you know, liked Ethan Bear. They wanted more sure. from him. Even Caleb Jones, for that matter, I think there was a, you know, a good uh, part of the fan base that that felt like he was capable of a lot more than, um, you know, Tippett was giving him credit for. Uh, and then we, you know, there's another guy that we're expecting tons from that didn't get so much as a sniff of NHL last year, which is Bouchard, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to, you know, and this, and these are not, you know, unless if unless if I'm not understanding the way, uh, you know, the situation works, these are these are tippet decisions. They're not Holland decisions uh, that that allow for that. And so, you know, I'm, but as I said, this is the case of uh, based on the on the moves that he made. I think you know we're in Tippett and Holland are are riding off to the sunset together in this franchise, and and we they either make it with the roster that they put together now or or they're both probably gone at the same time, right? Well, traditionally a GM gets to fire at least one coach before he uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, gets yeah, canned himself. And I mean, we saw that with, uh, with Shirelli and McClellan that uh, Shirelli fired McClellan in November and Shirelli himself lasted until January. So it was a pretty short squeeze, <laughs> but you know, at least he got a chance to fire that coach. Uh, I honestly think it almost doesn't matter unless they miss the playoffs, which of course would be a disaster. But if they make the playoffs next year, but then fail in the uh, early going of the playoffs, that that might be uh, that might be it for uh, Tippett. And so I suspect that you know he is under a tremendous. In fact, I know he's under a tremendous amount of pressure to uh, uh, make better progress than that this year. And for better or worse, he's a, a veteran NHL coach who trusts veteran NHL players. And so with the Oilers, their, their technique for getting veteran NHL players seems to be to go outside the organization and bring them on. And we've had another, uh, another dose of that. And you asked originally way back about whether I thought the, uh, the guys they added were enough of improvement. Well, if you look just within the core 12, you know, is Duncan Keith an improvement on Dmitry Kulikov? Well, I think a pretty good argument could be made that, uh, uh, I mean, they got the same initials, but uh, <laughs> Duncan Keith has got the longer, uh, more successful uh, uh, resume. Uh, that's a debatable point that, you know, we'll see how both of them play next year. Uh, did they improve? I mean, to me, Zach Hyman took Dominic Cahoon's spot in the lineup. Do you think that's an improvement? Well, yeah. of course it's an improvement. And the orders are going to be better up front. Of that, I'm convinced. I just wrote a a, a positive article about uh, improvements that they made up front. Uh, I think Derek Ryan, he checks a lot of boxes um, for bottom six center. He's right-handed. Uh, he's got some offense. He can kill penalties. He can win face-offs uh, you know, from the right-handed stick 
point of view like that's a that's a valuable uh guy that uh, does some things that they didn't have before he's near the end of the line but if he you know if he falls off a cliff he's got such a decent contract of just 1.25 million that you can bury 90 percent of it in the in the minor leagues if you if it came really came down to it so you know that's a good bet uh warren fogel uh, has got better underlying numbers than any bottom six swinger that we've seen for quite some time. You know, now, mind you, he did it in Carolina, playing with other pretty good players. Not great players, but, you know, decent middle six players. Very good stable players, good, yeah. Good defense behind him, which uh, probably helps to push those numbers. But uh, he did his part, and he put some pucks in the net. And when he was out there, the puck went north more than it went south. Well, that's a nice add. <clears throat> and uh you've got uh uh and the other the other big question mark is cody cc versus adam larson and from where i sit that certainly looks like a downgrade but how much of one i think to a certain extent maybe at this point just because the the uh band-aid just got ripped off and the wound is still fresh that uh, we maybe overvalue adam larson a little bit at this point but i just don't see that they have another player like him and I don't think Cody Cece is that much like Larson. Like he played, uh, um, he very staunch, sturdy, rugged defense for the Oilers. And last year, he had, uh, I looked it up, he had 166 hits last year, Adam Larson. And the other three right defensemen combined, uh, which were, of course, uh, Barry, Bear, and Bouchard had 68 among the three of them <laughs> and they played they didn't they didn't they played twice as much and larson played every game and two of the other three played every game so yeah you know he played larson had about a third of the ice time and he had like two and a half times more hits than all the other guys combined and they they you could add some ruggedness on the left side but the orders are just going to play a different game and some people say we need more puck movers we need more guys uh getting the puck moving north and maybe that's these guys and i'd like to think that it would be these guys but when i look at their numbers in their old teams it's not all that promising <laughs> you know i mean i i'm i'm writing an art i just wrote one on the on the three forwards and i'm doing one now on the three defensemen keith cc and of course barry who we brought back of uh of how their stats have looked in the last one and the last three seasons. And out of 186 defensemen, here you go, which is exactly six per team in the NHL, have played 420 even strength minutes last year. Uh, Duncan Keith ranked 172nd in shot attempts, uh, 184th in expected goals out of 186. 184. <laughs> uh, 150th in actual goals. This is as a goals for percentage when he's on the ice. So uh, a critic can say, and with much justification, that this is just one player on the ice, and it's the whole team that that pushes the play north or get you know gets gets that outplays or gets outplayed, not just the one guy. But when the one guy is on the ice and the team's consistently uh, uh, on the on the back foot. Then you got to look a little closer at that one guy, and his his numbers were were poor. Cece's numbers were not real good, and Barry's are kind kind of up and down. He's got he's got some nice things at least, but it's uh, 
it's not quite the uh, the walk in the park that it was with the forwards, where all three guys had really sound uh, underlying numbers playing in three different programs, you know. And yeah, I mean, it's it's <clears throat> kind of like a shot in the dark, right? I mean, you're kind of hoping that CC and uh, Keith sort of find games that they didn't have last year. Mm-hmm. You know, that they, you know, they, that they, you know, you expect them to be capable of, but Holland must, or, or Tippett for that matter, must see <laughs> something in them that, uh, you know, he likes some style of play or something that um, really, uh, you know, kind of moved the needle on that. I, you know, I'm, I, um, this kind of goes where, where, uh, you know, I got about 10 more minutes left yep. uh, tonight. And, and so, one of the things I kind of talked to you a little bit about before we got on air, and I'm I'm curious your thoughts because it seems the Oilers have railed against analytics to some extent. Uh, although you know what was it? Uh, how many years ago they put out that um, contest where they were looking mm-hmm. for uh, you know some analytics guru to come help them out? But uh, they've just Mike, never Michael really. Parcati won it. Who who won it? I Michael you know I never found it. okay and. Um, yeah, I mean they've never really kind of taken it by the reins, and and I guess you know when you got a guy like Holland who's been around the league a long time, it's you know it's hard to hard to maybe change something that's been that way. But this has got to be like an organizational thing, right? Like it's you know it's got to be from the top down. You know, I, one of the things I'm curious about because I, I I think and tell me if I'm wrong, but Bruce, I think you you put some stock in analytics. Sure, yeah. um, and, and I know actually, I, you know what I know, cause I've had conversations with you and Dave and, and how you, you know, you do both the eye test and the analytics test, 100%. um, maybe a little bit more down the middle than most, you know, there seems to be a, you know, a contingent of folks that are one, you know, either one side or, or on the other. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I like your approach to it. What I'm, what I've been, and I haven't quite done it. Maybe, you know, the answer. What I'm curious about is who out there in terms of teams have really taken a grasp on analytics you think that are doing really well because of it. Um, and, and the only one that I, you know, I really know a lot about is, you know, of course, Arizona lots was made of, of mm-hmm. them taking that analytics approach and clearly well. they, it didn't work out <laughs> very well for them. But like, is there, you know, <laughs> Is Tampa that Bay. is that the problem? Is is Tampa Bay big into mm-hmm. the analytics piece? Yeah, yeah, no, they they seem to be on top of everything, and you know it's not a, it's not even one of those questions where you either do analytics or you do the old fashioned eye yeah. test like you just alluded to. You know, there's a little bit of both. You know, if you if you're you know looking at it with one eye open, then you look at it with the other eye open. Well, what do you see when you open both your eyes at once? That's that's my question. But, you know, I mean, look at L.A., right? Like, they hired Volman a couple yep. of years ago, right? They sure I mean, did. And he's, you know, he's the guy that wrote the book, right? Literally. Um, I got that book on the yeah. shelf back there. <laughs> yeah. A couple, yeah, couple I, of yeah. his books. <laughs> I own a couple as well. And and so, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, my curiosity is, I mean, we haven't seen since they put Volman in place. We haven't seen L.A., you know, turn a corner. Not to say that. That's what uh, you're looking at. They're crushing it in the draft. Yeah, oh, man, they they're they're building a fabulous, uh, um, uh, young. I'll, I'll be surprised if uh, I won't be surprised to see LA listed number one on you know the under twenty three prospects list and so on by the various experts that do that sort of thing this year. They're they're really they're they're really hitting it 
seems like out of the park. Um, yeah. With, uh, okay. With okay. I mean, that's fair. So, I mean, but so what do you expect is the turnaround on something like that? Like, do you think they're going to be a, you know, a top team in the West, you know, in, in sooner than years? You, yeah. Sooner than you expect. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah. at some point they're going to cash in two or three of those picks and, and uh, prospects and, and, and get a Jack Eichel or someone that they can, you know, a current fully developed player that they can really build around. So it's just a matter of the right, situation coming up for that but uh, uh i don't think they're going to be down for very long and i uh as you say volman's there uh tim barnes the uh uh formerly known as vic ferrari on the oilogosphere mm-hmm. with the famous blog irreverent oilers fans uh and they had a, they had a few you know tyler dello was involved in that uh program as well well vic got signed by the uh, washington capitals uh, five, six years ago, and then uh, Washington wound up winning the Stanley Cup there a couple of years after. Now, I'm not saying it's because of analytics, but I am saying that Washington is open to using all the tools that might be at their disposal. And there are days where I question whether Edmonton is there yet. Yeah, well, I think it, I think it's a fair question. I mean, I just don't feel like they are there. I mean, it seems, uh, you know, and 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 it's not just holland but it was shirelli and and it seemed to be you know it seemed to be the last well i i can't recall a time where i really felt comfortable that the oilers were taking an analytical approach to their decision making um you know it seems like it's been a while so it's got to be organizational you'd think right and 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 that would you know show itself in who they pick as gm right i mean obviously right yeah I mean, I mean they they've gone looking. very much gone the hockey Canada route in uh, in the Oilers, right? I mean, uh, Kevin Lowe, of course, had lots of uh, background in, in hockey Canada. Wayne Gretzky, for that matter, that was part of the system. But uh, when they brought in Bobby Bobby uh, Bob Nicholson, everybody calls him Bobby Nix. When they brought in yeah. Bob Nicholson and his hockey Canada background, and he hired Shirelli, and then he hired Holland, and you know, sort of old boys club kind of thing, and thing about hockey canada is that uh, it's they don't have to compete in the same way right how does hockey canada compete they find a list of the 20 best players and they say come play for us in the olympics and the boys are all saying yeah we'll happily do that and they probably have a two, <laughs> 200 million dollar salary cap you know but they can just pick whoever they want it's not the same kind of get down in the the gutter and get your you know your two percent advantage in this aspect and your three percent over there and your one and a half percent somewhere else it's it's so close in the parity era and the salary cap is so you know i mean it you can't do the detroit red wings of 2002 where you go out and you get 10 hall of famers and it doesn't matter what you have to pay them because there's no limit it's not like that anymore you got you know you gotta you gotta find a way to uh to economize and and uh, make the most of your salary budget, and ideally you have a cap penalty of zero dollars, like the Tampa Bay Lightning did, yeah, yeah. as opposed to having next year to pay both Milan Lucic and James Neal to not play for the Oilers. Oh yeah, and Andre Sakara, they're still paying him not to play <laughs> for the Oilers. No, it's crazy. Uh, you know, and and you're five million in the hole before you start. And then you're in the hole, the other hole of it's hard to get 
players to come to Edmonton because the taxes you have to overpay in term and 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 cap hit and so on. And so what is billed as an equal salary cap for everybody really isn't. And the Canadian teams, as a general rule, are all at a disadvantage, I think, on that front. And it showed on the competitive side throughout the cap era, you know, zero Stanley Cups in this country. So I need to look into it a little bit further, but uh, there was a, a fellow, uh, you know, financial advisor or somebody that dealt with players who suggested that um, the tax thing shouldn't be as big an issue as as we're saying it is, because there is a, a means in which they can uh, recoup some of those costs. Okay. Uh, so uh, there is, um, if you go to, I think it's uh, Royal Bank even has a as a page sort of dedicated to hockey professionals, oh, yeah. and there's a um, a method that they and and so and the only reason I bring that up is I just found out about that maybe a month mm-hmm. or so ago, and and somebody said you know if the if a player's agent is worth their salt they'll they'll understand that and and as I as I suppose most of them do now. And they can recoup some of that back. So that tax thing. But, you know, having said, I mean, Elliot Friedman brought it to light, something which we all, I su- suggest, knew, which was social media is hard in, in Canada when it comes to players. And, and you know, if you could go and, and play in Tampa Bay where, you know, you probably could walk down the street and nobody would even know who you are, um, you know, other than if they happen to be a lightning fan, right? Um, you know, that there's probably an advantage to that, right? Probably recognize Kucherov by now, I would think. I, I would think so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Tampa Bay, I mean, yeah. let's think about it. They're, you know, they're a big American sports market where they just won the Super Bowl. Yeah. They just they just won the, uh, the, the uh, American League uh, pennant, went to the World Series. You know, like there's a lot going on there. Whereas in Edmonton, it's like hockey, 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 hockey. Here we are in August, hockey. And it's, you know, it's just <laughs> all hockey 12 months of the year. I never run out of things to write about. And I never run out of people reading the stuff I write, it seems like, because people are just all consuming on on hockey. It's not like put down the hockey now that, you know, the, the Bucks are back and, you know, Brady's going for the Super Bowl, right? There's yeah. none of that. It's, it's, uh, it's just a full-on focus on Oilers and and uh, and in this in these parts, and it's uh, it's hard. You know, if you have a player, you might have players who love the limelight and love the love the fishbowl and are happy to be in there. But that's not every player. No, no, it certainly isn't. And um, you know, it, it's just getting worse, right? Like as we get Twitter and all of these different uh, mediums well, that they can, uh, <laughs> it doesn't get any better. It just gets, you know, a little bit more under the microscope. Ha- everything that happens, Michael. I mean, I understand the huge uproar about the Duncan Keith thing. Like that was, a, that was a, like say a signature move and, and it was one that was highly debatable. But going absolutely apeshit over uh, Devin Shore signing a two-year deal, I mean, Devin Shore is a depth player. If he makes it and helps the club, great. If he doesn't make it and they send him to the minors, it's not going to cost him a cent. You know, like yeah, you know, chill. <laughs> uh, you know, let let the we gave the you know the, the franchise gave the keys to the GM. He's going to drive for a while. Let's see where he, where he takes us. Uh, as opposed to the first left turn, saying, "Well, I wanted to go that way." You know, I mean, certain point we're along for the ride, and we're <laughs> we're going to see what. Uh, what happens and and uh, i understand the passion believe me i feel it myself but uh 
sometimes we, you know, we just have to take a deep breath and say, well, until they actually play a few games, we can't declare Duncan Keith the 186th best defenseman in the National Hockey League, <laughs> no matter what the stats say. Uh, and uh, maybe he's got things and maybe the GM is right about some things. Maybe, maybe those intangibles, maybe he's a guy who can come into the locker room and actually pull rank on Connor McDavid when rank needs to be pulled. You know, I mean, yeah. we don't know what's going on in there, do we? Uh, and I mean, these are, these are, uh, this is a point I go back to often flesh and blood human beings yep. that are involved in the management side of things and in the player personnel kind of things. They're not playing EA sports presents NHL 2021 They're You know, this is uh, this is real life humans and there there's uh there's lots of variables in there that uh you and i and all the other outsiders can only guess at at best yeah yeah there's and there's so much behind the scenes we never know i mean it's mm -hmm. easy for us to be armchair gms and suggest yep. well you should have gone <laughs> out and signed stamkos yesterday just because he mm -hmm. happened to be available <laughs> Does he want to play in Edmonton is the next right. question you got to oh, ask. Yeah. 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 No, I, you know what? I appreciate that take. We're, um, we're running down here at the, uh, mm -hmm. the end of the hour and, and, uh, just, I guess, you know, one question. And, and, um, if you look at what's left for the off season, obviously goaltending is, is an area that, uh, Holland knows and has suggested he wants to do something about, but he's saddled with a Koskinen contract. Uh, I've heard you and, and Dave talk about, uh, Kadobin. Uh, is mm -hmm. there, do you have, uh, you know, if you're put your money down on what the goaltending situation is going to be going into the next season, what's your thought on that? <sighs> well, plan A seems to be, well, plan A is Mike Smith. Yeah. Cause they went out and signed him. That was the one option. They didn't have to do anything and they did it and they signed him for two years. So plan A seems to be Mike Smith and Mikko Koskinen. If they want to bring in another goalie instead of Koskinen, they're going to have to move out Koskinen and move out from his contract. So they're going to have to trade him for the other guy or they're going to have to, to pay something significant to get his uh, contract off the books to get the other guy in there. Well, plan, plan B is that you've already got a guy in place, Alex Stalock, who's been an NHL goalie for a number of years, who's cheap. $785,000. Like if he beats out Mikko Koskinen at training camp and they send Koskinen to the minors, they're eating a bunch of salary, but they're actually coming out $340,000 ahead. So, you know, plan C has some merit to it. Uh, whatever was that plan D, whatever <laughs> they've got, they got three young goalies in the system that are chomping at the bit. Stuart Skinner looks like he yeah. might be close and Conovalov, who nobody knows really anything about other than he's been pretty good in the KHL and he might be here sooner than later. So if they went out and they got another goalie in addition to Smith and they locked the guy down for two or more years, right away, they're closing the door on guys like Stuart Skinner and either Conovalov. And so do you want to do that? Or do you want to just say, well, Koskinen is your backup. Smith is clearly the number one now. Koskinen's a backup. He's way overpaid. But if you use him right, he can give you some good hockey and then he's gone. And you're not eating his salary next year and you're not losing your first round pick or something because you wanted to move on from him quickly. So it's, it's not sexy, as Peter Shirelli would say. But almost the status quo, you know, it makes more sense than some of these other options. Like that deal that we're talking about uh, for Carpacello, that was insane. Oh, like, yeah. surely, the gourd, you're not going to do that. Where you give up, you know, 
uh, a pick and a significant prospect and and get another goalie back who's like 894 like what what does that do so (laughs) i'd rather rather stick i'd rather stick stick it out with with koskinen and you know koskinen was good last year for as long the whole time he was number two he was fine yeah, and you're betting on Keith and you're betting on CeCe. I mean, might as well bet on Koskinen too, right? Yeah, because he had a good well, season the year prior. Gold, great yeah, gold, yeah, Edmonton's goaltending has not been a problem in either of the last two regular seasons. Uh, Koskinen yeah. was, the, was the main man two years ago, and Smith was uh, last year. And Smith had some good moments. In, you know, they each had some good moments in both years. And, and so, I mean, it's... Everybody wants to see something better. Well, both Smith and Koskinen, and, and I think Stalock as well, were all in the top 30 in the league in save percentage over the last uh, two years, and that includes backups and starters. So they're all in the top half, you know. So yeah, it's not ideal. I mean, ideally, you have Vasilevsky, right? Well, this just in. We don't have Vasilevsky. <laughs> but they got a couple of, you know, competent NHL goalies, and, and riding it out is, you know, it, it's not ideal, but neither are the other options really at this point. If they were going to move, they needed to move before now. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I I agree with you on that. We'll see what uh, we'll see what happens, and uh, obviously, still lots of off season left. Uh, thank you again, Bruce, uh, for joining the show. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and um, and enjoy you know watching you and Dave, and and then reading the articles and all of that. Um, to anybody out there that. Uh, you know, please uh, subscribe on uh, YouTube or uh, any podcast, uh, anywhere you find podcasts, you'll find Oilers Live as well. We've got uh, the Straight Off the Pipe podcast and 99 Forever podcast with Eric Friesen, who I know you mm-hmm. you follow and talk to you a fair bit. Mm-hmm. All those great things. And um, we'll see what happens uh, come the new season and hopefully get you back on again. I'm sure, you know, I think we've we're on with those guys from handkerchief dynasty. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Those are a couple of characters. It's a real, like, um, there are a ton of great characters in the podcasting and blogging. And it seems like we've had a bit of a Renaissance in the last couple of years and it's Mm -hmm. just that much easier to do it. And and I love all the content that's out there. So, and I appreciate you taking the time because I know lots of people ask you to do that. So thank you so much. And we'll see everybody uh, next Tuesday. I'm Oilers Live, Michael, and we're out of here. Oilers Live.